while the communion elements are being handed out, I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture. We're looking at the life of Jesus, and today I'm jumping out of chronological order. I'm jumping towards the end of his life because there's a, a portion of his life that I feel it's right for us to look at today. And it's in John chapter 13, and at verse 1 it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or the NIV says he showed the full extent of his love. How did he do that? And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. So what that means is that Jesus got up after supper. They finished their supper together. Jesus gets up. He takes off his coat and his outer garments. So he's just got very minimal clothing on and he puts a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. He was talking about Jesus, uh, Judas. Verse 11, For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I am that. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Praise the Lord. How are we doing with handing out this stuff? Are we still busy? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this picture of you in the upper room. Thank you, Lord, for us being able to have a glimpse of your last supper with your disciples. And thank you, Lord, for what you did after supper. Thank you for washing their feet. Thank you for taking off your glory and your outer garments. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for becoming a servant. And thank you, Lord, for showing us that we can do the same. I pray that you would help us. Lord, enlighten our eyes, our minds, our hearts, our emotions. Change us today, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I remember when I first got to high school, I was about 12 years old, and I got to high school... And it was a school where we all wore uniform, but the prefects wore a special kind of blazer. And they sat on the stage during assembly. And the head boy, a guy called Roger Mecklecamp, 
was an amazing guy. He was huge and hairy and muscular, and he looked like a god. And he was sat there with this special white blazer on. And I thought, wow, I want to be like him. How do I get to be the head boy of the school? And so I checked it out, and we had to learn about how the school worked. And pretty soon it became clear, if you want to be great in the school and be the head boy, you have to be in the first team for rugby and cricket and preferably water polo and one other thing. And you have to be involved in the drama club and maybe one or two other cultural things like the school play. And you have to do some community service and you have to volunteer. You have to be the monitor of your class and do well in your exams and get good O-levels and A-levels. And then you might be the head boy. Boy, and I tried, eh? I went for it. Tried to volunteer for everything and do everything. And I had to leave the school in, uh, after four years, so I never got there. But I probably wouldn't have anyway. But I just remember this idea of how can I be great? And many of us, when we come into the kingdom of God, we're like James and John who came to Jesus, it says in Matthew 23, and they said, Lord, can one of us sit on your right hand and one on your left hand in your kingdom? They were saying, can we be the head boys, please? Can we be great? Can we have a position? Can we have a title? Many of us in the world, we've learned the rules of how to climb the ladder. And I need to get this title and I need to carry up favor with this person and I need to do these little things and then I can rise up and I can get a name for myself and I can be great. And many of us come into the kingdom of God and we think, how can I be great in the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, when James and John came to, came to him, with their mother, it says, can you imagine bringing your mum as well? Mum, come with us. We want to go and ask if we can be the head boys. They brought their mum to Jesus. And Jesus said, let me just read it, read it to you. Where is it? But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers... Of this world, lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave or the slave of all. We have this picture of Jesus after the Last Supper. So they, they got a special room prepared. Jesus sent his disciples ahead of him into Jerusalem. They went to a particular place. And they said, the master wants to have supper here. And the man said, yes, you can have this special room. It's like they hired this room in a hotel to have the last supper. And it was all prepared perfectly. There was the bread and the wine and the meat and the, everything they needed and a little table. And everything was set up exactly right. But there was one thing missing. There was no one to wash the feet. Did you know that washing of the feet, especially at a... A, a fancy dinner like this Last Supper was, was expected. It was the normal thing. Whenever, because they walked around on dusty roads with sandals on, whenever you got to a special fancy dinner, there would be a basin of water and there would be a servant who would wash everybody's feet. That was the way that things were done. It was just expected. The very least level of 
hospitality at a fancy dinner was we must have a servant who's going to wash everyone's feet. And that servant is the lowest of the low servants. He's not anywhere in the hierarchy. He's the lowest servant of all. And he comes around and he takes your dusty sandals off. Do you remember John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That's what he was talking about. He was saying, I'm not even the, the foot washing guy. The, the servant comes, he takes your dusty sandals off, grubby feet, bit of mud in between the toes. And he gets them and he gets some water and he washes. And you, you don't even look at him. When he's washing your feet, you carry on talking with your friends. Oh, we ignore him. He's a nobody. They got to this dinner, the Last Supper. They've had the whole meal, it says. When the meal was ended, and all this time they've been reclining at the table. You know, they didn't sit at nice seats where their feet were out of view. No, we're reclining, which means our feet are there. Our dirty, grubby, dusty feet are there in front of everyone, right? At, at eye level, where we're eating our food. We're reclining there and having a nice meal, you know. You can imagine the scene, and there's grubby feet. And none of them have volunteered to wash the feet. You can imagine them saying, oh, who organized this? There's no foot washing guy. Oh, I wonder if Judas is going to do it. I wonder if Thomas is going to, who's going to do the foot? I'm not going to do it. We, this is, we're part of the kingdom of God. We don't wash feet. That's, that's too lowly for me. I wonder who's going to do it. Jesus gets up takes off his outer garments, his robes, his, you know, what makes him look important, and he puts a towel around, and he goes and he starts washing their feet. Isn't that incredible? And then he says to them at the end, you need to copy me, and you will be blessed if you do this. We mustn't just run over that little phrase. We mustn't think that was just a, a little nice thing to say. He was saying... If you copy me, if you do what I'm doing, if you serve and make yourself low, you will be blessed. You will be great, he said in this other passage we read. How do I become great? How do I become blessed? I can come into the kingdom of God and into the church with all the world's ideas on how to be great. Hey, look how important I am. I've got this many degrees and letters after my name. I've done this much ministry. I've prayed for this many hours. I know this many Bible verses off by heart. I've done this much great things and done all these things. Or we can say, no, to be great and to be blessed, I can do things upside down. The way that Jesus says, which is the greatest becomes the servant. Are you deeply challenged by that? I am. I am. You know what I fear? Is that the church at large and our church and all churches really can easily slip into the world's way of saying who is great and how do I become great and how do I become blessed. I'll be blessed if I get a title, a position, if everyone looks at me and says how great I am and actually that's the world's way of doing things and it doesn't bring the blessing of God. I went to a little church in Chigutu. It's a little town, a township really. And this little church of only about 20 people, they were poor people. They met under a bridge. Can you imagine how poor the church is? That, that's, their meeting place is under a bridge next to a river. And I went there on a Sunday with them. And it was wonderful. The humility, the poverty, and everything was just wonderful. And I thought, wow, wonderful. And we sang some songs, and the presence of the Lord was there. 
And then after the worship, the leader stood up and he says, Now would the leader of the ushers please come forward. There's 20 people in this church. And this, this usher leader walks forward, stands in front, and everyone goes, Now would the leader of the women's ministry come forward. And the next one comes forward. Would the leader of the offerings come forward. And the next person... By the end of it, all 20 of them were standing at the front. It was so important for them to have a title and a position and be the leader of something. And I'm sad to say that the presence of the Lord was no longer there. I've been in other churches or meetings where I know that there's people there who are great in the Lord. I don't want to embarrass David McFeeters, but he's a great man of God. He's Serve the Lord for decades. And you know what? He just sits there humbly in the church. He doesn't want a position. He doesn't want a title. He just sits there. I've been in places where the great humble themselves and say, I, I, there's a man in this church who's been mentored by some of the best worship leaders in the world. And you know what he said to me? He says, can I help serve tea? That's where the presence of God comes. You'll be blessed if you do that, he said. We so want our titles, don't we? The right reverend bishop, archdeacon, so-and-so, his holiness, the reverend doctor, someone or other. What on earth is that all about? What is that? You know, Jesus said, don't call anyone father or teacher. You know what the great Peter said in his, in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He says, to the elders I appeal as a fellow elder. He wasn't saying, I'm the top-notch guy. He says, I'm just one of you. John, in his letters, you know the beloved John, the great apostle who Jesus loved? You know how he starts his letters? The elder to the churches. He's just, he's just saying, I'm, ju I'm just one of you. There's, it's not like leaders are here and everyone else is here. We're all here. Some have the job of leading, but that doesn't mean they're higher than the others. Do you get that? So important. And yet the church has been sucked into this thing of we need position. Oh, some of the stories I've heard. There's a church, my sister-in-law visited a church, an evening service, a big church. Thousands of people. She took a non-Christian with her and thought, wow, they're going to meet the Lord. You know, what they, you know what the service was? Honor the pastor's wife service. She sat on a throne on the stage, and everyone in the church had to go up one by one in front of her and put a gift in front of her and tell her how great she was. What's that all about? <laughs> how far have we gone off track? Amen? The sec so the first part is titles. The second part of this servant heart is just doing what needs to be done. Just doing what needs to be done. I lived in a town where, um, for whatever reason, the, the money had run out in the municipality and they couldn't fix the potholes in the road anymore. And the roads got worse and worse and worse until it was better to drive off the road than on the road. Jonathan, you know. So. <laughs> it's better to drive on the side because on the road you're going to damage your car. And you know what? Everyone was just complaining. Oh, this municipality, these officials, they're useless. They can't. They, they rubbish. They are. Oh. 
And everywhere you went, it was just whinge, 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 whinge. Just the noise that came out of everyone's mouth. But a friend of mine who was a Christian, he never said anything. He fixed his own potholes in his road for the whole road. Everyone in that road got blessed because he just got in and did it. Can you imagine the scene at the Last Supper and they're all lying there with their stinky feet thinking, who organized this one? We know what it should be. There should be a foot washing servant, but we, the reality is there's no foot washing servant. What do we do? What do we do when the reality is different to what we think it should be? What do we do? I'll tell you that what the Christian does. We serve. <laughs> what the world does is complain. Isn't that right? The sign of service is I do what needs to be done. Not because I'm going to get affirmation or a title or whoa. It, it needs to be done. Let's do it. Jesus. Jesus. The God of glory. <laughs> comes and washes their feet. Listen to this passage from Philippians chapter 2. It says, therefore, if you have any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of His love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Please just lodge that little phrase in your mind because I'm going to come back to it. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Whoa, is that counter to the culture? Let me esteem others better than myself. Wow. Humility. Putting others first. There was a man called Henry Augustus Rowland, a professor of physics at John Hopkins University. He was called as an expert witness at a trial, and during cross-examination, a lawyer said to him, what are your qualifications as an expert witness in this case? This man was normally very modest and retiring, but he replied quietly, I am the greatest living expert on the subject under discussion. <laughs> Later, a friend who was well acquainted with his normal disposition expressed surprise at the professor's uncharacteristic answer, and the professor answered, well, I was under oath, I had to tell the truth. I was once at a Christian camp and there's a friend of mine who's a pastor who just thinks he's the greatest gift to the, to the world. He's just so full of himself. It's frightening. And we were playing volleyball and there was this guy at the campsite who joined in the game and he was very quiet. He was very unassuming. His name's Dave Beecroft. And he just played and I thought, man, this guy can play volleyball. And then they passed him the ball, and he whacked it, and it just was incredible. I've never seen anyone spot like this. And I thought, this, there's something about this guy. But he never called for the ball. If the ball was coming, he would let others take it. And at the last point of the game, it was a tight game, and the, the ball was coming to this guy, Dave, and my friend, the big stuff pastor, ran up, said, mine! And he bashed him out of the way, and he took the ball, and he messed it up. I remember thinking, whoa. Anyway, afterwards, we chatted to this guy. Dave Beecroft was the captain of the New Zealand volleyball team. 
He just happened to be camping in little campsites in Zimbabwe at the time. Friends, how many times have we been in a place where a man has been humble? He's great. He knows he knows more than everyone else, but he doesn't say anything. He doesn't push himself forward. He doesn't say, oh, I know, I listen to my opinion. He lets everyone else speak. And at the end of it, no one realizes how great he was. But listen to this. God realizes. God says that person is great in the kingdom. In other words, you might be in a tiny little worldly setting where that person never gets any glory, but in the proper big scheme of things, which really matters, God's kingdom, he gets a lot of glory because he's been humble. <laughs> Let me carry on reading from Philippians. So it says, But in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than yourself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be aimed at, but made himself of no reputation. You know, Jesus could have been the biggest rabbi and leader in, in Jerusalem, but he had no title. He had no position. Taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen to this. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, it's not a mistake that Jesus is exalted and he was humble. It's because of the one and the other. James 4 says, humble yourself and God will raise you up. God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. That word resist means sets himself in battle array against. I don't want God to set himself in battle array against me. It's possible to have no reputation on earth and for people to think you're nothing, but in God's eyes you're great in the kingdom of God. And it comes by service. A friend of mine called Stuart Dore. He's a man with very minimal education and a humble man. He never pushed himself forward. I asked him to lead some cell groups, some life groups in a small township in Zimbabwe. And he's now grown that into a church of over a thousand people. And he's humble. He'll never push himself forward. He'll never say, look how great I am. Another man, Andre, took over the church that we started in Matari. He has a stutter, a bad stutter. He never did any proper formal education. I, d I don't think he went past um, GCSEs. I don't think he even got those. But he's a servant. And he's taken that church further than I could have ever taken it because he's put himself low. He's served. You know, for a year... There was no electricity and no running water in the place where he lived, where he took over from us. Him and his family had a house, but they lived outside next to an open fire. The kids did their homework there. They cooked all their food there. They just they lived with, with little torches on their head because there was no electricity for a year. They just slept in their house, everything else they did next to this fire. And he could have been anywhere in the world doing anything else. He, was, he had a job elsewhere, but he wanted to serve and God has used him, and he's now leading greatly. 
in my experience, the people who come and say, look at my qualifications, never progress far in the kingdom of God. The people who say, I want to serve, progress very, very far. I want to close by just talking about this word selfish ambition. It's a little word in the Greek, erytheia. And I'm going to read you what the Greek dictionary says it means. It means electioneering or intriguing for office. Selfish ambition is translated in the Bible. Or sometimes self-seeking. Electioneering or intriguing for office. It's a political word. It, it says, a courting distinction, a desire to put oneself forward, a partisan and fractious spirit which does not disdain the low arts. It's a political word. If you wanted to describe it or translate it another way, it would be church politics. You know what politics is about? It's saying, I want to be great. I want a title, I want a position, and I want to gather people to, to support me and support my ideas. And, and I want people to look at how great I am. And I'll use money, I'll use influence, I'll use manipulation, bullying, whatever it takes, but I want people to, to push me forward. That's the word selfish ambition. We already read it in Philippians chapter 2. Let me just read it to you again in another place. James chapter 3, and I'm going to close with this. James chapter 3, this word selfish ambition or electioneering or church politics. James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his words are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking or selfish ambition, that's that word, in your hearts, do not boast about it and lie against the truth. This kind of wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, sensual, in other words, based on my five senses, and demonic. Friends, I'm reading this with a heavy heart because it's a big problem in the church worldwide. He says, if you have selfish ambition, let me read it to you again. James 3, 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking or selfish ambition in your, or church politics, electioneering, wanting to put yourself forward in your heart, do not boast about it. This wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly. It's a worldly way of doing things. It's sensual. It's based on my five senses and it's demonic. Now listen to what he says. For where envy and self-seeking, that word selfish ambition exists, confusion and every evil thing is there. Wow. He says where there's self-seeking, where a church takes on the world's ideas of greatness, he says there's confusion and every evil thing. <laughs> Isn't that shocking? So what does this mean for you and I? Well, before I get there, let me just read the beginning of that passage in John 13 about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. John 13 verse 3 said this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments. The only way you and I can have this correct attitude is to be like Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God and was going to God, washed their feet. How do I do this? The only way is if I'm secure 
in my relationship with God. Isn't that right? How could Jesus be so humble? Because he knew who he was. He knew God loved him. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. He knew where he was set right now with God. All power was with him. When you're secure, you can be humble. If a person pushes himself continually, I want to, look at me, look at me, they're not secure. But when a person's secure in God, they don't need position. They don't need title. They don't need other people to tell them how great they are. God will raise them up. Amen? 